When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Welcome to the Family Brain with your host, Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Today on The Family Brain, I'll be talking with Dr. Becky Davenport of the Institute for Couple and Family Enhancement in San Antonio, Texas. I will have a link for their website on our show notes, but I also wanted to reference it here. It's icfetx.com. I wanted to talk to Dr. Davenport about her experiences working with couples and couples therapy, and I have a lot of friends who I've spoken with about being interested in couples counseling, but being a little unsure what that will feel like and what they're walking into. So I wanted to ask Dr. Davenport about some of her experiences to sort of help take some of the mystery away from what goes on behind the curtain. And also wanted to see if she had any suggestions for us about making our partnerships stronger. And she has a lot of great advice for us today. So Here's Dr. Davenport. Welcome to the next episode of The Family Brain. Today I'm talking to Dr. Becky Davenport. And first, I just kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you work at the Institute for Couple and Family Enhancement. I know you're the owner and founder of that group. And I just wanted to hear a little bit about the work you guys do here. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, um, So the Institute for Couple and Family Enhancement started as um, just a couple of us wanting to be in practice together that were organized uh, like in our professional discipline as marriage and family therapists uh, in our training and our professional identity, which meant that we were trained to understand people as relational beings that um, when we talk about health, when we talk about wholeness, um, that that all happens in the context of relationships. So even what we typically think about as individual issues like depression, anxiety, um, stress, uh, that that none of that happens outside of of people's relationships. And so um, to help people be healthy, then we we need to understand their relationships. And so um, ICFE was really born around wanting to, you know, one, work in a group of people that I 
like <laughs> working to with hand select. The yeah, group. yeah. So getting to hand select um, people that had, had been friends and, and colleagues in the past and um, supervisees that I had worked with um, over the years uh, that I knew did good work. And um, yeah, so it's evolved over um, almost eight years now that, that we've been been here and plugging along and growing and learning together, um, but really organized around um, relationships as, as the focus of, of what we do. And that was what was so interesting to me when I was doing family counseling or work with kids is that a lot of times families would come in and sort of point the finger at one person in the family, like it's this person has the issue. And sometimes there is, you know, that's, but usually it's something that touches all parts of a family. Um, so one of the things we were going to talk about today was your work with couples. And can you tell us a little bit about um, how that became such a focus of your practice? Uh, so I, even, I did my undergraduate in psychology um, a long, long time ago now. And I initially started um, in my undergrad thinking I wanted to go to law school. And uh, I think I took one class toward that major. And I was going to go to law school, too. And yeah. I worked at a law firm, and I was like, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to the lawyers out there, but the particular place I worked at was... Yeah, no. yeah. And... And I actually, ironically, work with a lot of attorneys now in some of the work, work that I do, um, and I, I, I recognize that that's important work that, that needs to be done. Um, but, but for me, when the first time I took a psychology class and uh, recognized that, oh, people could make sense, uh, I could understand why people do what they do and, and uh, maybe maybe have that be something that makes sense to me, then it's like, I just want to keep doing that and doing more of that. And... I was um, in a relationship at the time, and, and so um, I, met, I met my husband the, the first weekend that I was at Texas A&M for my undergrad, um, and so in, in the course of learning about people, I was naturally curious about relationships and, and what healthy relationships looked like, um, how to make sure that we were building one, and I think just natural curiosity led me to... Um, focus on couples and, and families and um, and I re I've, I've always enjoyed working with couples a lot of therapists don't enjoy working with couples because it's complicated and messy and unpredictable in some ways mm -hmm. uh, as far as what's going to come in the room uh, it's a very different energy than, than working with individual clients um, but I've, I've always enjoyed it so what about, I've talked to a lot of people who feel like they could benefit from couples counseling, but maybe one of the people in the couple is interested and the other person is not. What do you recommend for those situations when somebody is trying to encourage someone else to get in the door? I think, first of all, really understanding what the hesitation is about. Uh, a lot of times it's fear of, I'm um, I'm afraid of what's going to come out. Somehow I recognize that there's things that haven't been said that, that we do need to talk about, but I'm really afraid of what's going to happen when we start having that conversation. Um, and so helping that person feel comfortable um, 
often is, is about, it, it's going to depend too on what's going on. If, if you're wanting to <clears throat> uh, pursue couples counseling because uh, you really want to improve the relationship and uh, you're just inviting the other person to participate in making things better, um, then the, the truth of that hopefully can, can help ease that fear. Um, but if, if you're, if the truth is that like, I'm recognizing that we're in trouble and there's something really, really wrong in our relationship, or I'm even considering leaving the relationship, um, then you know, that, that fear is more realistic <laughs> that, that the, the spouse might be, be experiencing. Um, and so I think to, to answer your question about what do you do with that? If, if it's fear, then, then we're going to talk to that differently than if it's just lack of understanding. Like I'm thinking everything's fine. I don't know. You know if, if you're unhappy, then there must be something going on with you, which, which may be true, but you're a, a significant part of my life, and I want you to go with me to talk about those things. Um, there's so much of, of what you do in that situation is going to depend on first having an understanding of, of what the other person is struggling with and um, what's getting in the way of them being open to, to coming in and having a conversation. Uh, some of it often is they've had a bad experience with with a professional. Uh, they, they think they've tried um, because there's, there's a lot of um, different approaches uh, to couples therapy, there's there's a lot of different levels of, of experience and training, um, and so I, I interact with a lot of people that have had bad experiences uh, with with therapy in the past. Well, and you sometimes wonder if people have an idea from what they've seen on TV, yeah, which is often a very yes. extreme stereotype of you know, laying watching. on a couch. With, I hate yeah. watching therapy on TV. <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> So maybe just encourage someone to, you know, let's have a conversation and see how it feels and yeah. take well, and, it from there. And I, and I think especially being able, sometimes people start individually uh, and you know, and begin to find who, who do I feel comfortable with? Who do I think my spouse would be comfortable with uh, if they're not at the point where they're ready to shop together? Because it's, it's, it takes time. It takes money. It takes energy. Um, to, to find the right fit for that relationship. And so um, if, if one person is more motivated, more uh, desiring to, to get that started, uh, then they can start individually, um, develop a relationship. Um, and, and, and even if that stays an individual therapeutic relationship, then um, that can be a resource to help them find somebody that's going to be a good fit um, to, to bring their spouse into. Um, how do you help people understand that you're not going to pick a side? <laughs> or do you pick a side? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Very rarely, yeah. if, if ever. Um, but because my client is the relationship between the, the people in the room. It's not either one of them as, as individuals. And so my goal is to help them understand the relationship that they're in. And, and so, so much of what we talk about is what's the pattern that keeps happening in this relationship, uh, understanding that the, the life that the relationship kind of has in a, in a way that in some ways is separate from each of you as individuals. 
So, uh, and each each person plays a role in that, but it's not about good good couples therapy is not about finding the bad guy. It's actually about helping you get away from that tendency to find the bad guy and figure out how do we work together to understand each other, how to build a relationship that's that's going to be fulfilling, satisfying, secure for both of us together. Um, and and that doesn't work when somebody's being scapegoated as, as the bad person in a relationship. What are, are there any specific themes that you see again and again? And has that changed over time? Or if they've been pretty consistent that these are the reasons that people tend to walk in the door? Or is it just all over the map? Well, there's, I have two different answers to that. One is what, what are the what's the content that people bring in, and what what are the things that they're in conflict about? Uh, that's money, that's parenting, that's extended family relationships, that's work stress, um, that's sex, that's uh, what what are the what's the content of, of things that we're having arguments and and, and disagreements about? But then the underneath part of that, that that really doesn't change over time is that that somehow those issues represent something deeper a, a meaning to me that that makes me either feel more connected to you or less connected to you in the way that we have conversation and live together around these issues so there's there's different seasons in life where you know, if you're raising young kids and you know busy you know both people working and or even one person working and, and the other person really busy with young kids, um, there's seasons in life when you're you're pulled in lots of different directions and it, it feels like I just don't have enough of me to, to give to everything that, that I need to do. Um, but the experience of that in a relationship really depends on whether I really feel securely bonded to you, whether you're a safe person to me um, that I know is going to be there emotionally when I need you. Uh, if I know that and, and I and I have confidence in that, even when there's situations that we disagree about, that's going to feel different than when, when something has happened that has disrupted that sense of security for me. And, and often the way that we know how to talk about that disruption of that, that, that sense of disconnection and insecurity, we, we talk about that through those surface issues of whether we're having enough sex or whether we agree on how to spend money, whether we're spending the right amount of time together, um, whether you did the chores that I expected you to do within the house. Um, there's, there's all sorts of ways that we talk about how connected we feel mm. without talking about how connected we feel. Oh, that's so interesting. And is, do you think that people are aware that they're doing that or is it just that this is where our comfort zone is in general, even just in regular interactions, people keeping it more at the surface. What, what's your sense? I, I think there's there's some awareness that we have, um, but not a lot of that awareness is typically conscious um, because marriage and our expectations of marriage is changing so much so fast across generations and, and we watch movies that, that say, you know, happily ever after, but don't give us a picture of what that looks like um, as, as far as maintaining a 
sense of security in a relationship now when um, economically and and culturally there's so many different changes that make our marriages today so much different than our grandparents, our great-grandparents' relationships looked where you made a, a commitment and economically and practically, logistically, there, there were different things that kept kept you committed in that relationship um, in ways that that are that are different, uh, and and I think those past generations often had different expectations of each other emotionally. Um, I, I, I've heard uh, Sue Johnson make, make this comment a, a few times, and Sue Johnson's the uh, the person that developed emotionally focused couples therapy uh, that that I, I primarily rely on in my work with couples, uh, that, that so many of us now live in a, in a community of two, mm. uh, that, you know, in past generations where you had, you know, multiple people around you, extended family members, to be a support person for you emotionally, um, you know, in, in the world that we live in, it's, it's often you and your spouse as, as primary emotional supports for each other. And so the emotional need that we have so often from our spouse is so much deeper um, that it, it and, and so much more unrealistic in some ways that you know this one person can't meet all of my emotional needs like that you can't right right no that makes a lot of I've heard a lot of talk about that about in parenting as well you know just that we used to have more of a village we used to have more of a community that helped everybody and you know if there was one person that was down the other person picked up the slack. And if you're lucky, you can kind of cobble that together, but it doesn't seem to come easy. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. it takes a lot of work to get to that point. Right. Um, what about when people talk about um, staying together for their children? I, well, one, of the, one of the things that I, that I do more and more of now is, is actually a kind of, kind of therapy process called discernment counseling which is where at least one, one person is considering ending the marriage. And, and one of the questions that we talk about together is what's the role that your kids play in the decision that you're making about your marriage? And, and for parents, that, that is a big factor um, because they recognize the consequence that a divorce would have on their kids and, um, and, and they're conflicted about that. Um, what, what we see in research, though, over time is if you're just staying together for the kids uh, and, and not doing something to ensure that you're, you're creating a home environment where there's respect and admiration and love and affection that's also part of your relationship with each other, um, that doesn't necessarily benefit the kids uh, in, in the way that people assume. Okay. Um, that's not to say that uh, that if you're um, if there's some conflict, not answering this very well. Um, well, it's a hard question. I think it's complicated, right? It, I mean, it is complicated, but because I, I never want to be the person that says, you know, yes, you know, by regardless, you're going to stay together for your kids because. You know, the, what we know from, from kids who've grown up in high-conflict households is that there's damage to that. Mm -hmm. And we know that for, for kids that have grown up 
in in divorced households um, where they aren't having a, a, they aren't feeling like they have the opportunity to have the relationship with those parents that they want, then there's consequences for that too. Mm -hmm. And so no situation is, is going to be the same as far as you know what's the right way to go forward. Um, so my advice in, in those situations is like before you make a decision, pause, let's let's reflect on what's going on. Do you un do you understand even what has happened in your in your marriage? Do you understand what's going on in your family? Do you understand your role in it? Do you understand what it would look like for that to change? And and what what a process would look like for you to develop a, a healthy relationship again? Um, and and if knowing all that still makes you believe that and, and, and know somewhere inside of you that I, I need to leave this relationship's over, then having the ability to, to reflect on what's the healthiest way to do that so that there's the least amount of negative consequences for your kids there, um, then you know, sometimes that's what ultimately is healthier. Well, and I think sometimes people have this idea that if a couple's counseling ends in divorce, that it failed somehow. But it seems to me that the people who have done the work in couples work know more clearly that they're making the right decision because they have done the work. They right. sort of feel more comfortable with that decision, that it wasn't just, I'm not happy, pull the plug. Right. Um, uh, the, the, the analogy that I use so often for, for couples, and I, I didn't make this up, but I honestly don't remember where I heard this from, so I'm just going to take credit for it. Uh, Go for it. <laughs> is, uh, and and this, you know, it's April in Texas right now, so if we look around in all of our yards, there's plants. So we had a pretty, pretty strong winter this year, so there's all sorts of plants that don't have a whole lot of life, don't, don't have any green on them yet. Um, most of them are starting to come back uh, and, and show us that they're, they're still alive. But there are still some. Um, I have a bougainvillea in my yard right now that I still don't see any green on yet. Uh, and, and I think those, those kinds of plants are often a, a, a perfect analogy to some of the marriages that I see where like there's an assumption that because I can't see any green on the surface, that must mean it's dead. Oh, that's a good one. And, and, and so part of what we talk about in, in either discernment or couples counseling is how do we know for sure? Uh, what are the conditions, you know, if we put some sunshine and some water and some nourishment on the roots, is there still life there that was just waiting for those conditions to be right again? And, you know, by August, it's going to be big and beautiful and have, bloom, have blooms all over it. Uh, and we know that, that that actually was healthy. It was just waiting for the right conditions. Or, like some of my plants right now, uh, it doesn't matter how much water I put on that, there's not any life there, and I need to accept that that's gone, grieve it, learn from it, and figure out what's the healthiest way to move forward. Um, but it, it takes time, it takes, um, it takes discerning to understand you know, what, what are the conditions of the roots, and, and how do I know like fully know what's there. And would that be more the difference? What's, what would you say is the difference between couples therapy and discernment counseling? What's the key yeah, the, difference? The, the key really is the discernment is a, a much more brief 
period of time, typically, like one to five sessions of somebody's not sure that they even want to go to couples therapy um, and, and, and they're seriously considering ending the relationship, they're, they're leaning out pretty far. So discernment is a, is a pause just to understand more about um, what, what are the paths forward? What are the options of what we can do now? Um, do I understand what a divorce would look like? What, what would be the consequences of that for me, uh, for my kids, uh, financially, relationally? Um, do, do, I, do I have a realistic picture of, of what that's going to mean? Um, and then you know, what, what, would, what would it look like for us to work on our relationship? Um, do I understand that? Um, often I, I, I see couples in, in discernment counseling that have gone to one or two sessions you know, of couples therapy and you know, thought that they had tried um, and come to find out you know, the person that they were working with had no training in couples therapy, um, very well-intentioned person, I'm sure, um, but, but didn't have uh, the professional expertise to really help meet their needs for the circumstances that they were in. Um, and then, so discernment is about making a decision about are we going to uh, spend you know, three to six months really working on our relationship and, and you know, putting all you know, putting the water, putting the, the sunshine, putting the nourishment on the roots and seeing what happens and then make a decision after we've done that about the relationship. Um, and, and couples therapy is, no, we both know that there's green there. We, we both know that there's life there. We just want to make it better. So what are the, when you talk about adding sunshine and adding water, what is the sunshine and water that is missing from a lot of relationships, would you say? That's a great question. Um, I have two things that pop up in, in my mind uh, initially to that question. One is intentionality for the relationship. Uh, because so often... Uh, the, the people that I that I see, and, and, and you know, I, I can even admit that I'm guilty of this in my own relationship from time to time of just assuming that that person's there and that that person's okay uh, and that we're fine. Uh, and I'm busy with work. I'm busy with parenting. I'm busy with life. Um, and, and and then turning you know, like. I, I stink with indoor plants because I always neglect them and they all die. Uh, <laughs> Which is why all the examples I give are of outdoor plants. Yeah, uh, and, you know, it's like the the house plant that I look at and go, "Oh my gosh, when's the last time I put water on that? That thing looks terrible." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, our relationships don't show neglect near as easily as our house plants can. Mm-hmm. Um, but so often, focus, attention, uh, intentionality uh, of you know, I'm making time with you a priority, I, I get home from work, and we get the kids in bed, and instead of getting on Facebook uh, to scroll through, or, you know, just, you know, we're all guilty of in some way, uh, so often uh, we're, we are dedicating time to sit down and, you know, what's going on, what was your day like, uh, tell me more about that, um, and, and often couples need to, like, relearn how to have a friendship with each other and, and how to maintain that and, and, and have curiosity about each other's lives and, 
because we, we change over time and, and our interest and things that we want to talk about change over time. Um, so, but then the other answer to that question is um, a, a key focus in, in couples therapy in, in my office is uh, understanding and, and feeling like we're partners together um, managing our relationship dynamics. Do we really understand what happens between us when we start to feel disconnected? When I'm overwhelmed, when I get, when we, we get busy, when uh, stressful things happen, um, and I I start to feel disconnected. Do I understand how I react to that? Do I do I understand what bids for connection look like from my spouse? Do I do I understand how to read those and stay attuned to those? Um, and because often we're making all sorts of assumptions about those things, um, and and often those assumptions are wrong. Um, that I, you know I'm feeling disconnected, and so I. Um, ask for um, help doing something or, or reach out and say, hey, let's let's plan uh, a date night. You know, I, I want to go see this concert. Uh, and, and if my husband responds back, oh, I'm not really interested in that. If I, in, if I interpret that to mean, well, he doesn't want to spend time with me and I get more hurt, right. then, and I don't know how to talk about what just happened between us and that this was how I interpreted that and if, if he doesn't know how to hear that and, and understand how, how we can navigate that together um, to meet those needs that, that we have to stay connected, uh, that often you know, that's what spirals into a, a negative pattern in the relationship. And, and the, the saddest thing that I, that I see for, for couples um, is that you know, on average, the research shows that couples will stay in a state of distress for for six years before they get help. Oh wow, that's shocking! I thought you were going to say six months. No, six years. Wow, is the is the average? Um, and and I that research is, is maybe a little bit old now. Um, I I would like to think that that has decreased um, as as. Couples therapy is more available, um, and hopefully you know, there's less stigma uh, around that now. Um, but you know, uh, over six years of time, you know, those those things build and kind of develop a life of their own. Um, and so, you know, sunshine and, and water means like knowing how to clear out some of this other stuff that has gotten in the way of us knowing how to how to connect with each other. Um, you know, that this negative pattern between us develops a life of its own uh, that's like those sticker vines that I can't stand mm-hmm. uh, that start growing up in, right. <laughs> in my plants and uh, and you're there as the therapist with the giant loppers trying yes. to you're like this is I don't think this yeah. is working yeah. 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 Uh, but we have to recognize that as something that's that's flowing between us not something that that we're doing to each other okay oh yeah that's a big shift yeah I think of that I was listening to this um presentation recently and this man was talking about how he had graduated from an Ivy League school and had you know graduated at the top of his class but this is the kind of thing that he didn't learn about and that we're not taught about is how to deal with our fear intimacy communication um, feeling disconnected I mean you often don't get to a point where you need those tools 
until you're in a state of distress. And then you're like, I think I heard something about tools out there, you know, and it's, it's hard. I'm wondering what you think we could do differently for our kids to help present to them what we wish maybe we had learned more about. One of my absolute pet peeves is as a parent myself, I have an almost 10 year old daughter and a 15 year old son and uh, just emotional intelligence, like being able to talk about and, and know that it's okay and normal to have fears, to have anxieties, to feel sad um, and to know how to label those emotions, how to articulate those to somebody that you trust um, and and also how to own your role when friendships and uh, relationships with family um, are are struggling. Um, you know, even like how we process conflict between us and our kids uh, begins to set that model for, um, can I lean in and say, okay, I understand that you're experiencing this this way. Let me tell you how I see the situation that's happening between us. Uh, I just want you to clean your room because I want I'm trying to get you to learn how to take pride in, in your belongings and take care of your things and uh, have a sense of order, um, help me understand you know, what, what's in the way of you getting that. Um, oh, I just thought you were trying to be bossy and, and that you were telling me that, you know, uh, you were trying to control my space. Um, this isn't the conversation that I've had with my kids. Um, yeah, a sample. <laughs> uh, let's say it's the conversation I had with my kids, yeah. <laughs> Uh, somewhat in, in different ways, but uh, it if we're not able to help them reflect on what has just happened between us, okay, I came in and told you to clean your room, you rolled your eyes at me because you were in your mind telling yourself a story that I was um, disregarding how important your video game was mm -hmm. to you, um, and because that was what you assumed to be true, that's how you responded back to me. When you responded to me that way, then I read that as disrespectful, and uh, so I gave you a consequence for that. You know, can, can we understand the relational dynamic that's happening here um, versus the way our eyes tend to see it is that you just did this to me, and that's all I see. I like that line about the story I'm telling myself. I think Brene Brown talks about that, doesn't she? About yeah. the story I'm telling myself is yes. that, that, you know, you were intentionally trying to be disrespectful or, you know, yes. and... Um, and that's such an important part of relationships in general, but especially family relationships that I, because the, the key to a successful marriage on so many levels is can I maintain a story in my head about my spouse that is kind, that is affirming of who they are, that also allows them to have imperfections, that allows them to have a bad day, mm -hmm. to need things from me, um, that allows them to struggle and to still be loving and, and warm and, and somebody that's safe for me to connect to. Um, because I think you know, the, the tendency that we all have, you know, I'm certainly guilty of it, is I get mad at my husband for something and initially, you know, immediately there's this voice in my head that kicks in that you know, can find all sorts of ways that he's wrong and uh, that he should know. And, you know, and that's the voice that's all about me. Uh, and, and if I don't know how to install the voice that's about him and, and keep the volume on that voice loud too, then um, that, that's my responsibility to, to maintain that connection and that understanding, um, which often means that I need to ask questions. Help me understand what just happened here uh, because I thought that this was happening and the way that you responded 
clearly you see this in a different way. Um, and, and yeah, and it really and, takes two to engage in that. It does. I mean, and that's what can be hard is sometimes one person is ready to have that conversation. Yeah. And another person is not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about spirituality? What, what do you use in your practice as a way to bring in people's perspectives on their faith or their spirit? Do you bring it in or do you wait for someone else to bring it in? Or how, how do you weave that into your work? That is highly individualized in a lot of ways uh, for clients as far as exactly what that looks like. Uh, I, I try as much as possible to, to be respectful of people's faith backgrounds, spiritual practices, um, as long as it's healthy for them. You know, I, I do give myself permission to ask questions and invite people to think about things differently if there's something that's, that's really unhealthy uh, that's getting in the way of, of their growth. Um, if somehow, you know, as an example of that, um, if, if somehow their understand, you know, religious background or spiritual understanding has bred shame in them, mm-hmm. um, personally or relationally, um, you know, one of the, the things that I talk a lot with couples about is, um, you know, with, within their sex lives, uh, to what extent do they have a sense of shame about sexual intimacy, um. And, and is that something that that they can that, that flows from a healthy spirituality of understanding marriage and and, and sexual intimacy as, as good and healthy, um, or is is there a, a sense of like I, I shouldn't have sexual desire? Um, I don't see that as as a healthy component of of what they're wanting in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes people haven't articulated even to themselves that, oh, that is still something that I'm carrying, even if I don't really believe that. Um, but marriage and, and, and relationships are, it is a spiritual experience because I'm connected to someone outside of me and, uh, and our relationship develops a life of its own. And so I think often people's understanding of spirituality is important and and how they, what their expectations of that are and how they participate in it. I, um, I've heard a lot from friends and just people I talk to about how, you know, bringing their spiritual life into their marriage can be tricky too. You know, like that they maybe have differences in faith or in practices or in just how they picture what, that maybe it's more values, you know, what, what is important to us? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you help get people? I mean, is it possible to get on the same page or is it more that you just respect that this is, there's a difference here and that's okay. Yeah. I, I, I think for any of us that are striving to be healthy, spiritual, beings we're never going to be in the same place exactly as somebody else and i'm never i'm not in the same place now that i was five years ago that i was 10 years ago because uh, life experiences learning um motherhood certainly has shaped um, my experience of spirituality uh, my understanding of religious tradition um in in a lot of ways that i never would have anticipated um and so 
I think giving ourselves permission to not be in the same place, um, but just to remain curious about what each other are experiencing is, is important. Um, and I, I, when you asked earlier, maybe even before we started recording, as far as like trends and what's changed, one of the things that I, I am seeing a lot of is um, people that are in some sort of transition spiritually in their life. Whether it's uh, they, they've experienced a loss together that their previous religious practices or religious understanding doesn't, uh, doesn't fit, uh, that that old way of thinking doesn't hold what they've experienced, and so they're in almost a crisis of faith of, uh, do I, is there a way for me to add on to my understanding to be able to incorporate this experience that I've had, or um, do I have to walk away from uh, something that was important to me in the past? Um, and, and that's terrifying for so many people uh, to, to encounter uh, that, that kind of experience. Um, and, and it's so important to know how to have those conversations with your spouse, uh, sometimes above anybody else, because you know, that's the person that, that hopefully can say, it's okay. Um, I don't know what the answers are. Um, none of us know, you know what, what, what the answers are um, in, in a lot of those situations, um, even though we'd like to think that we do. Right, right. <laughs> Well, and I think that's what makes it hard when your traditions are called into question by maybe a new experience or a new yeah. understanding and kind of start to point you not necessarily away from your beliefs, but just give it a different nuance that you're not sure what to do with. Right, you know? right. Um, and, and often, you know, in our, in our marriages, hopefully that's where we get permission to, um, to ask questions. And uh, yeah, I, I see why you're asking that question. I get it. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but I'll go on the journey with you, and, mm -hmm. and, and let's see if, you know, what what we find as we try to go deeper into this. Right. I was talking to. I went to a presentation recently with Bob Goff. Have you ever read any of his books? No. He wrote Love Does, and actually another book of his just came out. It's called Love Everybody, I think, and um, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, but he was asking me and some of my friends, do you feel known? And I think that's one of the things that people really are seeking is just to yeah. feel known, even if it's yeah. a mess, even if it's a, you don't know what's going on, or even if you're, you're in the worst place of your life, you know, to have someone else who sees what is going on. And I think that's where a lot of people split off is feeling not known right. by the person they share their life with. Right. Yeah. And and it's so interesting that you bring that up in, in, in connection to, or after talking about spirituality, because you know, going back to, you know, are we in a community of, of two? I, as human beings, we can't be fully known just to each other. Um, it, it, and, and I think especially when we're in a place where we're struggling um, and, and searching for um, like a really deep experience of being known, um, and, and and knowing that I'm secure and that I'm enough, you know, you know, referencing you, know, you referenced Brené Brown earlier. Um, if, if I'm if I'm struggling with so much of that, um, 
I, I see so many relationships that are struggling because the expectation is just on the spouse to be able to fill all those needs. Mm. And it's a big strain. It yes. is. It is. Um, it's, it's really setting the relationship up for failure unintentionally um, because I can't meet all of those needs. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are spiritual needs that um, do I know how within myself um, to feel a connection um, to something bigger than myself um, that, that's not my spouse? Uh, do I know how um, I, I, my spiritual practice is, is running? Um, I run in the park as much as possible and um, being around the trees and seeing the birds and interacting with the deer, um, like that does something for me that my husband can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I need that. Um, and and so giving ourselves you know permission um, to figure out what what's going to bring peace to me mm-hmm. um, and, and and taking some responsibility for that within myself is is also sometimes a really important part of a healthy marriage uh, because it means I'm not expecting the other person to to fill all of that. Makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the things, this kind of leads me to my last question, but before that, I wanted to just make sure, is there anything else you wanted to share with me that you feel like I didn't ask you about? Um, we could just talk for a long time. I know, right? <laughs> I know, a couple stuff. Um, I really want to take some of the, like, the question away from, like, what happens in a therapist's office. Um, the, the most important part of, of therapy for, for anybody, you know, individually or couples, is um, that, that you're in a place where you feel safe um, to, to talk vulnerably, to talk openly, and that this is a place that, um, that, that is, is there to hold this and, and to help you figure out what to do with it. Um, and you know, like I said, that looks different for couples um, because it's it's two people that, that are um, struggling together. Um, but you know, for folks that are that are considering looking for uh, somebody to help them in their marriage, um, one of the the key things to consider is: do I do I feel heard here? Do I feel safe here? Do I feel understood? Um, do I do I feel like you know, this person understands my goals, um, and you know, or is this person you know have not that handouts are bad, but but if if the you know, if I feel like I'm just getting the cookie cutter uh, psychoeducation about relationships, um, and that's, there's nothing wrong with psychoeducation. There's some great resources out there, um, but if, if that's not a fit for what I need, then you know, can I give myself permission to trust? my instinct that, you know, that this isn't, this isn't what, what's a fit for me, um, and, and have a conversation about that, you know, with the therapist, um, or look for, for other options too. And I think that's interesting because I think people sometimes are afraid to speak up and to say to the therapist, you know, hey, I feel like you maybe missed my point earlier, or I mean, you have to be willing to clarify with that other person because they're trying to make sense of this too. They're in there with you and they're right. And I guess to me it would be right. I was going to say that, but I wasn't sure about you. Um, Oh yeah. (laughs) um, 
And you know what? They'll either take that and work with it or, you know, and, and maybe that's part of it too, is what do they do with the feedback that you give? You know, is that right. somebody that's willing to, okay, I didn't get it. Help me get it. Right. You know? Right. Um, no, that's great. Cause I think that was one of the things we were talking about before is just the fear of what is it going to be like? And I think sometimes the fear of keeps people out of the room. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and, but what's interesting is the people, most people that I know that have gone to couples therapy, love it. Yeah. Love it. I mean, even if it's hard, because yeah. usually it is, um, yeah. but really find it very useful. So, yeah. uh, well, my last question, you kind of answered a little bit before, but my question was just about, so in talking on this podcast about the family brain and keeping families healthy, it, I think. I love that title, by the way. Thank you. Um, the that people are trying to keep their own brains healthy too. Like you can't, what is it, fill from an empty well? Is that the right expression? Yeah, you can't drink from an empty cup. Drink, drink from an empty cup. That's a better one. Um, so what do you do to keep your cup full? Because you're not only trying to keep your own family up and going, but you're also listening to so many stories that a lot of times yeah. are pretty heavy. Yeah. So what do you do to help what, for your own self-care, to help you manage all these stories and all of this uh, life that is pointed in your direction? Um, that is a great question. And one, my, my answer has evolved over time. Um, honestly, there's, there's a point where I don't think I did that very well. Um, and burned out really, really good. Um, and had to rebuild and, and intentionally create things for myself. Um, one is a spiritual practice. Um, I listen, I listen to a lot of podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, to, to help me stay, um, oriented in, in the right direction of, you know, what do I believe about humanity? What do I believe about the, the purpose of, of our lives and, um, what we're here to do and, and how I want to be in relationship with other people, um, what, what are some of your favorite podcasts? Some of the people that are listening to this, this is their first podcast that they've ever listened to. Oh, really? So they don't realize there's a lot of competition out there. Oh, no. my goodness. What, um, um, but, but it's fun for people to discover new podcasts. So what uh, are some of your favorite ones that you listen to? So my um, the ones that I feel like I get the most nourishment from, um, that you know, I usually listen to one while I'm running. Um, which is like my running companion uh, in the morning you know, as I'm, I've gotten the kids off to school and now I'm getting myself ready to, to come to work. Um, On Being is, is one that um, has a variety of, of topics and um, interesting insight. Um, I love Rob Bell's uh, Robcast. Um, there's often interesting insight and, and reflection there. Um, the Liturgist. Uh, is another one, one. That, that I listen to um, that um, and much of, of, of what I listen to is, is spiritual in, in some form or fashion um, and, and, and very much coming from a place for me that I'm craving depth um, because um, you know that the shift for me when you talk about like listening to hard stuff on a regular basis um, the the belief system that I brought into this work uh, broke pretty quickly uh, as I sat and listened day after day to all the horrible things that have happened to people at the hands of other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, slowly having to, um, you know, understand 
at a deeper level. I, I deeply believe that, that people are good, um, but I also have to you know, figure out how to incorporate an understanding of, of how we do some of the really bad things that we do, mm-hmm. uh, especially you know, to the people that we say that we love the most. Um, that, that's hard. Um, and yeah, so th- those are the, the ones that come to mind. Um, like 20 that I follow and look for, um, love rice is, is one, um, that has interesting stuff, uh, personality hackers. Um, there's, there's a, there's a whole, uh, whole variety out there. Um, so yeah, that. So listening to podcasts and, and, and getting deeper with your spirituality is something that helps and, you. And does it kind of ebb and flow for you that sometimes you're better at it than other times? Yeah. Um, and and I, I ebb and flow as far as what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try to do a lot of reading. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. I'm reading Bible studies. Sometimes I'm reading uh, science and neurology. Sometimes I'm reading parenting books. Sometimes I'm reading... Uh, I try to read some fiction every now and then, uh, although that's not what I tend to navigate toward the most. Um, I'm a big introvert, so I mean, with a cup of coffee and a and a book, um, sitting outside under the trees is like my definition of paradise. Uh, <laughs> it's an interesting job for a super introvert. You have to talk to people all day. Oh, we get to talk about deep stuff. We get we get, so to, I, we get to talk that, about interesting stuff. Okay, you know, that that that's fun. Okay, um, it's the social superficial. Yeah, that's no, I can't. Tough. I can't do that stuff yeah. very much. Um, <laughs> But I think that the other piece, um, even when we're talking about self care and, mm-hmm. and energy, is you know, diet, exercise, and sleep. Um, you know, and and diet, you know, not just like nutrition, but um, what else am I feeding myself? What am I reading on social media? Like how, how much am I like numbing out and reading crap mm-hmm. <laughs> that I, on some level, recognize as a waste of my energy. Um, so I know I'm healthiest when I have a focus and I'm intentional about what I'm giving energy to. I like that. It's a good answer. Uh, and and I, I want that to be my work and, and my family. Yeah. It goes back to what your core values are. Yeah. And I love talking about that because I think that's one of the things that's just kind of missing in a lot of people's lives is taking care of themselves. How is your marriage going to feel good if you're not... Yeah, well, because we think that that's selfish. Right. Like if I'm taking care of myself, um, or if I'm saying that that's important for me to take care of myself. But yeah, right. Our our relationships are healthiest when we know how to bring healthy selves into it. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. This was so fun. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.